0: Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that tells all the unfortunate truths about the unfortunate things that happened this week, as well as occasionally glimmers of hope in the darkness. I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Welcome back, E. Mike. How are you?
1: Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I always I always enjoy this chance to catch up with you each month. It used to be I only got to really catch up with you sort of you know each year over in Tehran, and uh, now we can have our little Tehran conference ourselves every month here at False Flag Weekly News. It's great. Yes. So let's get going with our obligatory disclaimers and then our weekly news stories. So we disclaim questioning everything. I don't know why we have to disclaim that, but they probably censor us if we didn't. So, uh, so yeah, we question everything. And we uh, warn people about how disturbing we are so that if somebody has a heart attack and they try to sue YouTube or Rumble or whatever platform we're on, that it won't work. And then finally, we do disclaim that we don't treat people's medical or mental health problems on this show. If you want us to treat your medical or mental health problems, see us after the show, and then (laughs) we'll probably decline anyway. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so, so that's enough disclaimers. Let's, let's go. Okay. Big story this week. I, I love this story. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, George W. Bush makes an unfortunate Iraq gaffe. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, unfortunate is the word. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate son of a Bush. That's right. Bush is now an unfortunate son of a Bush. <laughs> he may have been born with a silver spoon in his mm-hmm. nose. But he was also born with a silver <laughs> foot in his mouth. <laughs> now the media tells us how unfortunate it was. He un- accidentally confessed to election fraud and war crimes. <laughs> unfortunate? Are you kidding? I call it a stroke of blinding good fortune. Mm-hmm. It's maybe even a miracle from Allah when the truth finally <laughs> slips out of the mouth of George W. Bush. <laughs> what do you think Mike?
1: I think that the guilty flea where none it. <laughs> I, I, I think that that's, uh, this man has been obsessed, I think, with Iraq ever since he got the country involved. I don't know whether you know this, but uh, in his free time, George Bush paints portraits of soldiers who died in Iraq.
0: As well as his naked sister in the bathtub. Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't know about that. But uh, yeah. you know more than yeah, I do. You're
0: chasing art.
1: Okay. But uh, so th- this was clearly on his mind, and it's clear he's not going to forget it. And so been, what happened was what we used to call a Freudian slip, where something that you're really trying to repress is, by the very fact that you're trying to repress it, keeps coming back up. I didn't and- know
0: you were a Freudian, Mike.
1: Uh, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we don't treat mental health <laughs> issues on this show. <laughs>
1: This is this is free treatment for George W Bush. I'm not going to charge you anything, George, for this psychoanalysis he's lying on the
0: psychoanalysis here. watching the show right now and feeling better already.
1: The more you repress it, the more it pops up. And so he's he's got this idea of Iraq and he started talking about exactly what he had done in Iraq and was in the process of projecting it onto Vladimir Putin and suddenly he he let the cat out of the bag and said uh, Iraq instead of Ukraine.
0: You know, Dr. Freud, I think you nailed it.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Free of yeah. charge, George. Free of charge.
0: <laughs> Free of charge. OK, well, so that's our, our number one unfortunate story, which actually uh, had a certain fortunate element in it. And uh, it, you know, one of the, there were a lot of unfortunate mm-hmm. things that came out of Bush uh, stealing the rigged election of two thousand and ha- letting uh, Dick Cheney and his stable of Zionist neocons blow up the World Trade Center to stampede the American people into Afghanistan and Iraq. And among the unfortunate things that happened were the uh, unfortunate uh, round of torture of uh, of thousands and thousands of people, uh, almost all of them totally innocent without any connection whatsoever to militancy and or so-called terrorism, got just tortured, many of them, for years and years on end, like this guy, Mohamedou Slé, the uh, so-called Mauritanian. And this article uh, documenting the conversation between Slay and Mr. X, his torturer, was, uh, I thought, pretty interesting. It raises the question that that dumb, uh, not dumb, but D-A-M, dumb, the Palestinian rap group put in their song, uh, Manir Habi, Manir Habi. I I'm not happy with my bloody Who's the terrorist? Uh, you're the terrorist. And so which of these two guys is the terrorist? I would say it's the torturer, but uh anyway, it was an interesting article.
1: Yeah, that was uh, uh I, I tried to address this. There was serious concern among the population. Uh and I was uh invited to a symposium at Valparaiso University to talk about torture, and specifically in the wake of Abu Ghraib, and I said it was. Uh, this is what happens when you put women in charge of a prison. They torture people. It was a feminist operation from top to begin to, to bottom, and uh, the ladies were so outraged. I don't know why. Why were the feminists outraged? Because I said this. I, I then quoted Barbara Ehrenreich, and I said. Uh, uh, a, a, a uterus is no uh, ex- excuse for not having a conscience, no substitute for a conscience. They got even madder at me. I was ready to segue into the role Israel played in that, but they shut down the, the discussion. <laughs> you uh, stepped so on
0: too I, many toes
1: there. I t- so I had to leave it with the feminists. So uh, that that was my takeaway from um, Abu Ghraib.
0: Interesting. Yeah, well. I guess there are many cultures where prisoners of war were turned over to women to be tortured. So, uh, you know, women are sometimes put on a pedestal, maybe should be a little more than they are these days. But, uh, let's not imagine that either gender has a monopoly on evil or good for that matter. Um,
1: or innocence it,
0: or innocence. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not politically correct, I guess, to tell certain truths. And that's why we have this show is so that we can violate all the time. OK, so torture. And that's just among the, uh, the horrors coming out of that uh, 9-11 false flag and the Iraq and Afghanistan invasions, the destruction of a long list of countries, all done primarily on behalf of a certain nation in, in the Middle East that kind of thinks it's it owns the U.S. and probably does. Uh Speaking of that nation and its uh, ethnic base. Let's move on to the Jewish Nazi heroes who evacuated <laughs> the steel plant in Mary this week that's right they evacuated and and the, and they and we'll start with the jewish heroes okay so i i didn't realize these ucro nazis were jewish heroes but the times of israel says they are so next we'll be hearing about how the jewish hero adolf hitler exterminated 6 million palestinians hey uh, mike what's up with with these jewish heroes being nazis it's
1: it's just so confusing i don't i don't know what to say here the adl ha- had to come out uh, and uh, ta- explain to us that there are now good nazis as opposed to bad Nazis. We all we always thought all Nazis were bad until the Ukraine, until the Azov Brigade became the proxy warriors for Mr. Zelensky. And then uh, the ADL had to fall in line with this and say, no, no, there are good Nazis because, and they went into a long explanation. The ADL is getting into uh, more and more complicated explanations that are leaving fewer and fewer people convinced the, the more they talk.
0: Well, the story here says there are you know there's some Jewish soldiers amongst this a couple of thousand or however many people uh were holed up in there. And, uh, one of them supposedly released a video calling on Israel to rescue the besaged, uh, Avastal garrison. So the, uh, 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 I thought that was interesting. They, they wanted to, to do another Entebbe airport false flag operation. And I think trying, you know, messing with Entebbe airport in, in a single hijacked plane is probably a little more straightforward, especially since you're the guys that hijacked it in the first place, uh, than trying to deal with the Russians surrounding this Azovstal steel plant.
1: Yeah, they were completely surrounded. And then it turns out that all sorts of interesting people were showing up, uh, walking out, uh, including uh there was a Canadian general in there. There were apparently Americans in there. All kinds of interesting people uh, caught in the Azov steel plant. And uh and no one knew how serious it was because the mainstream media were constantly talking about how the Ukrainians were winning the war. Uh, and by the way, uh, this was a surrender. A uh, uh, one word that never got used in any Western mainstream media account. Uh, there was always evacuation. They were c- explaining that Zelensky told them to evacuate. He took the initiative. No, they surrendered without asking permission from Zelensky. And then Zelensky tried to get in front of the parade uh, by saying that he called for an evacuation. But this was a-, a crushing defeat for the Ukrainian army. The Ukrainian army is now demoralized. So no matter how many weapons uh, we send to them, you need an, uh, some type of Ukrainian, whether he's a Nazi or not, or whether he's Jewish or not, to pull the trigger. And this uh, group of people is evaporating as we speak.
0: Yeah, isn't it crazy how all of the mainstream media, they're just all reading from the same Operation Mockingbird script. This was an evacuation when, in fact, it was a surrender. It's completely nuts. Well, that—that that, uh, the previous article from the Times of Israel mentioned that, uh, the poor Ukrainians who were sad about the Ukro Nazi Jews, uh, getting, having to surrender in Mariupol had, it's a, well, the quote is, let's see, they, they got a boost of optimism as a rap lullaby won the Eurovision Song Contest. A <laughs> <What laughs> Ukrainian <laughs> rap lullaby. How does that go? Ha, ha, hanging with my peeps, rocking baby in the treetop. When the bling blows, the baby gonna rock, rock, rock. I mean, how how do you do a rap lullaby in Ukrainian? I I don't think. And I can how do you that.
1: fall asleep to something like that without getting nightmares?
0: Oh man, yeah. Well, the Ukrainians they guess, have to get hope wherever they can get it, and uh, they're because, not getting no, it on
1: the battlefield, that's for sure. So any uh, any 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 port in a storm, I guess.
0: That's right. And so the Russians are, are filtering all these uh, like a couple of thousand people, they say, that, that have surrendered from the steel plant. And we'll all see uh, what happens. Now, among those people that surrendered at the steel plant, there may have been some NATO officers. Uh, and uh, I had on Michael Brenner on the radio show last night talking about this article in which he suggested that we probably won't actually learn that the Russians captured NATO officers because if there had been NATO officers in there, they would have been killed and then they would have been mutilated to prevent uh, you know, fingerprint or uh, visual ID. And that would have been those orders would have been given possibly from the top, including the NATO top. Or it could have been also just that the uh, the ukro Nazis, the Azov brigade people would know to do that so as not to embarrass their Western Supporters. So uh, again, that's just a question. We don't know for sure that that happened, but but uh, we'll find out whether Brenner is right that indeed, uh, if there were any NATO officers in there, we'll never hear about it.
1: Oh, uh, you're also talking about blowback from irregular warfare. Uh, why do you think we established rules of warfare? Uh, Why? Because we want to avoid this type of thing. And here we have these geniuses who are smuggling people, all kinds of people in, and those people are going to pay the price for irregular warfare. If you're caught, you know, uh, behind the lines and you're not wearing a uniform, the army has a right to shoot you. And now the Russians are following uh, the rules of law. They're following the Geneva Conventions. But that means that these people engaged in a regular warfare. They don't have any rights under this, under the warfare, the rules of warfare that's supposed to be following. So, as I said, uh, you know, think this over, all you white guys out there, before you volunteer to die for the gay disco, because you may get what you pray for.
0: And that's why it's not such a great idea, maybe, for Zelensky to be you know, giving grenades to 80-year-old Ukrainian grandmas. You know, that, that could put grandma in harm's way, right. and it's probably not going to harm the Russians very much.
1: Put down that gun, honey. There was one uh, a good-looking, they're all good-looking, I think, Ukrainian chick standing on the balcony of her, her apartment holding an AK-47. You can get shot for doing that. And and the other and the people who shoot you will not be held responsible because they are not they didn't commit a crime by doing that you provoked them so don't do it this is the the backstory of the forty billion dollars of weapons that is going to be shipped over there innocent people are going to die in a futile attempt to basically prop up an army that has failed already.
0: Yeah, NATO's effort to fight Russia down to the last Ukrainian is certainly well underway. Who knows how long they'll be able to drag it out, though. And is this kind of a prelude to a bigger war? That's the question I asked in this article. It's the war mobilization stupid, which got a lot of response. In fact, I embedded last week's False Flag Weekly News with this article, and I think largely thanks to that, we are right at about 15,000 views, which is... uh, Little, well, you know, that's the kind of stuff we used to get back before YouTube started shadow banning us. Uh, so this article went pretty viral and helped uh, last week's show go moderately viral, too. And uh, the question I asked here is, is what the bleep are the Democrats thinking? Uh, you know, they're facing tough elections in both this year and then 2024. And tough might be an understatement. And so how are they preparing to win those elections? By blowing up the U.S. and global economies? Wait a minute. It's the economy, stupid. Clinton taught us that. You don't blow up the economy to try to win elections. What the heck are they thinking? And I speculate that, well, if the war gets big enough, then people will flock behind their fearless leader like they did behind George W. Bush for at least a a week or two in 2001. And maybe that's how they're planning to win. What do you think?
1: I think that they thought that uh, the sanctions were going to crater the Russian economy within a matter of weeks. So uh, at this was the, the, econ- the Russian economy should have collapsed uh, uh, about a month ago. At that point, the Russian people rise up uh, demonstrations across the country and they depose Putin and put in an American puppet. And that's the way they're going to planning to go into the 2022 elections in the fall. That was I think that was the plan.
0: Wow. Well, that didn't work out so well because the polls show 80% support for uh, Putin in the war in Russia, as one would expect. It's an existential war uh, and... Boy, that, what an what incredible miscalculation, if that's really what they well, thought.
1: Well, I, I think that's really what they thought. I remember, didn't uh, Paul Wolfowitz say that the the Iraqis were going to greet us with uh, flowers when we went in and candy. there? candy.
0: Don't forget the candy.
1: Okay. Yeah, well, this, this is the delusionary nature of, this is a delusionary state of mind that grows up inside the beltway when you're a part of a, a Jewish think tank like the American Enterprise Institute, and you're cut off from reality. So this is a great uh, reality check. And I think I uh, I don't see how the Democrats are not going to suffer in the fall because it didn't happen. Nothing has happened. Nothing but, has happened according to their plan.
0: But the problem is the neocons own the Republicans, too.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> so maybe they don't even care about the so election. let's
1: talk about that issue now. <laughs> let's talk about the Jews controlling both sides of the aisle in America.
0: Yeah, that's well, you know. I still think Jews, I know we, we argued this in Iraq. I think Jew, the word Jew and the word neocon are not exactly identical. They're just overlapping. <laughs> we can argue about how much of an overlap mm-hmm. there is. Uh, but yeah, it seems like the, the, mm-hmm. the people you would call neoliberals, uh, on the Democratic side end up following the same foreign policy mm-hmm. script for the most part as the neocons on the Republican side. So yeah, at some point you do start to say there is a pretty big overlap
1: there there and and what you see uh, the good news is always bad news like in Oklahoma the governor just passed a really good uh, anti-abortion bill uh, beginning at conception which is when life begins but then the big problem in Oklahoma and places like that is christian zionism so it's it's one way or the other you got a problem here
0: mm-hmm. well you know we could solve the whole abortion issue by uh, convincing the christian zionists that, uh, all unborn babies are Palestinians. And then it would be perfectly okay to, uh, dispose of them. But uh, anyway, moving on to, back to our Russia, uh, Ukraine stories, uh, and the war mobilization. Now it looks like they're upping the ante. So Mike, if you're right, and they were hoping to just totally trash the Russian economy and basically blow up Russia economically, uh, obviously it hasn't worked and so they're going to have to escalate. So how are they going to escalate? Well, this New York Times story says, that they are going to put on price caps and secondary sanctions. Secondary sanctions mean they're going to cut off uh, India, uh, Turkey, China, and other nations from any kind of commerce with the United States. Uh, if you do business with Russia, you can't do business with the U.S. I'm sure India, Turkey, China, and the 70, 80% of the world plus that is not on board with these Russia sanctions, they're all going to capitulate and cut off Russia. Yeah, right.
1: Yes. Well, now, this this is failing completely. So we have the latest news is that Germany, I think Germany and Italy have both agreed to buy oil in rubles, which was the condition. And so they're not that's they have to do that. OK. And if Germany uh, is going to do it, then why would India not do it? That, that's that, that's the issue here. The other side of the coin is that uh, that Russia is now making more money on oil revenues than they did a year ago before the sanctions were imposed. So it's it's not working. And the other part of the issue is they're make, as they are making more money. OK, because the price of fuel is going up because of what they're doing, uh, that more money that we are spending is causing inflation over here. So they're making more money and we're losing the value of the dollar because of inflation, all because of these sanctions. So pour more sanctions on and you'll get the same result in a much more dramatic form.
0: Well, they seem to think that they can put this special kind of sanction on that forces people who are buying Russian oil to pay really, really, really low prices. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, uh, I thought there were laws of supply and demand that kind of made such efforts quixotic, but what do I know? I'm not an economist. Uh, but I, I agree, Mike. This is, it's obviously not going to work. Um, and meanwhile, Russia, uh, is withdrawing from the WTO, the W, h o and maybe other w's with o 's in them uh, the Russian Dumas Deputy Speaker, Peter Tolstoy, who is a, apparently a descendant of the great author leo Tolstoy, uh one of my two favorite Christian novelists, the other being dostoyevsky, oh man I, I just outed myself as as a as a Russian sympathizer <laughs> uh that this Tolstoy has announced that we're not surrendering our sovereignty to w t o w we're getting out, so I guess when the w h o puts on a pandemic treaty and forces everybody to give up their national sovereignty and obey the WHO, Russia won't be doing that. So, uh, bravo Russia.
1: Yeah, and this is supposed to be punishment? For one of the fundamental facts of, that they apparently don't know at the Treasury Department is that sanctions function like tariffs. And tariffs function as a way of protecting domestic industry. And the only reason that Germany and the United States became the great industrial powers that they were is because they erected tariffs against Great Britain and free trade and their their garment industry that basically could undercut any price on the world. That's why they were – that's why they – British were promoting free trade because they knew they could undercut anybody's prices. So you're doing people, you're doing people a favor. You're doing Russia a favor. You're doing Iran a favor. It doesn't seem that way over the short haul by basically uh, imposing uh, sanctions. Now you're you're imposing sanctions on a country that has the most, uh, a huge amount of the world's energy. That's called cutting off your nose to spite your face. And eventually, everyone's going to have to come around to the fact that they have the – they, meaning Russia, have the energy, and we, meaning mostly Europe, uh, we need it. And we're going to go through the rigmarole of saying, yes, we're on board with America, yeah, yeah, and at the same time, undercutting it by agreeing to the Russian terms and paying for gas in rubles after all.
0: So Russia is not surrendering to the New World Order globalist uh, oligarchs. Uh and they're not surrendering to NATO, the military wing of the New World Order globalist oligarchs. So who is surrendering sovereignty to NATO and the New World Order? Finland and Sweden, that's right. They are applying to join NATO, but it's been blocked by Turkey. Whether temporarily or permanently, we shall see. Uh Rebecca Koffler, a former Defense Intelligence Agency intelligence officer and author of Putin's playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, says, quote, it's an absolute certainty that NATO will approve Finland and Sweden's application. Uh, apparently, Erdogan didn't hear that.
1: No, this is known as breaking into jail. Uh, this is exactly what Finland did. Uh So they uh they share a, like a 900 mile border with Russia. They're sparsely populated and they need Russian energy. They uh, refuse to show what good NATO uh, people they are. They refuse to do the ruble deal. And guess what? Russia just cut off their gas. Tough luck. This is really stupid. Uh you I can't pretty believe- cold
0: in Finland with no gas.
1: <laughs> it's cold up there. It's really cold up there. And you had basically a situation where everything was fine. You remain neutral. You don't need a a big army, blah, blah, blah. And now you join NATO and now you've broken into jail. And now you're in a bad situation and Russia just cut off your oil or gas or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, it's one of these cases where they've actually provoked the non-existent problem. It didn't exist until they provoked it.
1: Right? I I can't believe that this is the the Finns. The Finnish or the Swedes, the people wanting this. These are, these are oligarchs. These are people who will make out like bandits for orchestrating a deal that will not benefit the country that they represent. By the way, there is a, 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 a Swedish, a Finnish bishop is being put on trial for quoting the Bible on homosexuality. So that gives you, this is a, a, a Lutheran bishop. Uh, this gives you some indication of the sympathies of the oligarchs who are willing to shed the last drop of Finnish blood in defense of the gay disco.
0: Sounds like the Finnish are finished. So (laughs) how about the. This is uh, the
1: finish line.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, we're we're nowhere near the finish line for today's show. So let's move on to the next uh, story, which is the question of what is the strategy? Everything you've been saying, Mike, makes sense to me. I mean, maybe they should hire you. Uh, To explain the concept of grand strategy, because whoever is in charge here, which is, of course, the neocons, the usual suspects, apparently hasn't figured it out. So here's a sacred article asking about where is the West's grand strategy? The Russians do have one. Um, Moscow is spending way less than NATO in Ukraine. NATO has already wasted over $50 billion. The Russians have spent 4000000000 billion. They've already conquered Mariupol, Berdansk, Kherson, uh, and on and on and on, created a land corridor to Crimea, secured its water supply. They control the Sea of Azov, the major port city. Uh, they have liberated most of the key strategic areas of Donbass while hurling the entire collective West into a level of recession not seen since the 1970s. Uh, So it seems that the Russians do have some kind of grand strategy and the West doesn't. I guess it's attempting, as you said, to drag Russia into another Afghanistan quagmire, but it doesn't seem to be working out that way.
1: No, because their goals are clearly short term and the, the short term goals that they're proposing are clearly a manifestation of the collective narcissism of the West which feels it has some type of moral superiority. I don't know where they get this idea, but I think that's the way they think. American exceptionalism, something like that, that everyone wants to become an American, uh, and therefore there will be an uprising because of uh, a domestic unrest. This is totally delusional, and it's short-term, and the Russians did operated under the exact opposite uh, principle, which is basically we're going to do it slow and steady and we're going to encircle and we're going to starve them out and we're going to have a siege in the West and they are succeeding and the West uh, is, is not succeeding. That's, that's the fundamental fact on the ground here. Those, the other, the other issue is that the state of warfare has changed now. And basically the missile uh, is the dominant issue here and they have better missiles than we do. It's that simple, and those missiles can land. This this happened when, uh, when they fired missiles from the Caspian Sea into the Mediterranean or something like that. It was clear that the Soviets – I remember this. There was a, an aircraft carrier, an American aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf, and suddenly the, the missile takes out a ship in the Mediterranean, and at that point the aircraft carrier turned around and sailed out. Because an aircraft carrier is a sitting duck when uh, in face in light of these Russian missiles and their capability. That was the technological advantage that they exploited. They took total control. uh, They had total air superiority. And at that point, they pretty much had won the war, which they were planning to be slow and steady. And America, the propagandists all said, oh, they're losing. They did this, blah, blah, blah. No, that was their plan. And they are following through with their plan. And the American narcissistic plan that uh, uh, we will overwhelm people with our, our righteousness, it, it didn't work. It's not working.
0: And then the, the real... Uh- underlying issue of the economy and the relative economic strength of the two blocks is uh, obviously so far playing out in favor of Russia, which now is running the biggest surplus in history. It's got the biggest wheat harvest in its history. It's now the world's number one wheat producer. And the wheat prices, like the energy prices, are way, way up, totally benefiting Russia. And the uh, now the stronger ruble, uh, which is a resource-based currency also backed by gold, is heading nothing but up. So it looks like there's been a real... uh, fail here in terms of the grand strategy there's also been a propaganda fail first let's look at the propaganda and then let's look at the fail so here's a piece from who what which is kind of on the border between the pseudo-alternative media like oh mother jones and democracy now and the nation and the progressive and things like that which are basically not fully alternative by any means and uh the you know slightly more real alternative media that we inhabit. And this particular article uh, argues that the Russians are putting out all kinds of lies and propaganda. The first issue they cite, a Russia 24 TV broadcast that alleged that crisis actors were being used uh, against Russia in propaganda operations, turned out that that was probably wrong or distorted. So I'll, I'll provisionally accept that claim. But then it goes on to say, quote, the Russian media agency TASS reported that Ukraine faked the train station bombing at Kramatorsk. Sorry, Uh, independent analysts have proven beyond any reasonable doubt that the Ukrainian forces fired the missile that hit the train station at Kramatorsk. That is an undeniable fact. And the lies about that in this article made me instantly, totally distrust this author. So I looked them up. Patrick O'Connor, he has no credits whatsoever except for these four Ukraine propaganda articles at Who, What, Why. You try to find him anywhere else on the web, and there's a guy who might be him, uh, but we don't know. There's no way to be sure, who uh, worked for Wall Street Journal, NBC, Bloomberg, Politico, and The Hill, all uh, CIA pr- propaganda outlets. So... Uh, I think in hiring this guy, who, what, why, they better be taking a heck of a lot of money from the, the scumbags who are running this war because they're really tarnishing their credibility. Russell, Russ Baker at who, what, why really needs to get back on track and ask some questions about who this O'Connor person really is.
1: Yeah, well, it's ridiculous anyway, because even the pro-Russian sources uh all claim that russia is losing the propaganda war they're just not doing a, a, a very good job uh maybe they're simply outgunned because there are so many media outlets in the west but it's it's hard it's hard to find uh russian information just, just wait, you know, wait, wait, wait. You know,
0: we'll see we'll see about that claim that they're losing the propaganda war in a couple of stories down the line uh looking at some some polls and such uh I, I, despite the total dominance of the Western narrative, including all sorts of outrageous lies in global mainstream media, I'm not sure that the world's population has been fully convinced.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, all I'm saying is that there are people who are pro-Russian who are complaining about this. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, uh, but Andrea Mar- Martinov uh, at uh, the Saker has complained yeah. about it, uh, uh, saying that there are just not enough people. Uh, in for not enough information coming out there they 're not playing according to that game. This kind of fits in i think with the asymmetrical warfare that we're that we 're dealing with here that if you if you're a, if you aspire to be the global hegemon, then you have to have a huge force that Uh, doesn't necessarily apply in certain areas and i think that's exactly what's happening here first of all in the the russian war the way they're fighting the war the missile versus the aircraft carrier for example is asymmetric and then probably in the propaganda war as well because i don't know how much propaganda you have i think the truth is going to win ultimately over propaganda
0: well let's look at some more propaganda next story Tens of thousands of Ukrainians are held in camps on Russian territory, says Zelensky. And this is parroted uncritically in this particular story from ukrinform.net. I'm not sure where that came from. And uh, it's probably another uh, Mockingbird outlet, uh, Voice of America type thing. So uh, what does that mean? Tens of thousands of Ukrainians held in camps in Russian territory. Well, remember, there are over one and a half million refugees uh, from Ukraine who were driven into Russia. Uh, these are Russian-speaking pro-Russian Ukrainians who were driven into Russia by the nonstop shelling of the Donbass region by Ukraine, the deliberate targeting of civilians and the murder of over 10,000 of them. Uh, so of those 1.5 million refugees from the Donbass, I wonder how many of them may be in quote-unquote camps still. I hope not very many, And uh, then, of course, there are these uh, prisoners of war, people, uh, the Yukro-Nazis being, quote, unquote, evacuated from the steel plant. Uh, Yeah, they're probably in camps, too. Uh, But obviously, this story, which is claiming that we're seeing Nazi-style concentration camps for sort of ordinary Ukrainians just because they're Ukrainians, is a complete joke.
1: Well, again, we're back to the uh, Holocaust narrative. Which gets invoked uh, in Canadian uh, trucker protests. Uh, it's basically the standard operating procedure whenever you want to condemn the person that you uh, is on the other side of the argument. And so they're trying to resurrect this. Maybe you have seen the uh, Hitler. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Putin in a, in the bunker. Poodler. The Putin in the bunker. <laughs> Putin in the bunker yeah. stories.
0: Yeah, with, with Eva Brown. Just
1: come back uh, <laughs> he 's screaming he 's screaming at the jo- well wait a minute, I saw that movie it 's called downfall it 's called the Untergang in german it 's gone viral so many times well that 's obviously the the para- the the uh, paradigm that is being applied here, so you have to apply the holocaust and of course camp concentration camps are part of that narrative, and so it 's just part of the story uh yeah they 're going to be put in camps they 're called prisoner of war camps, and uh, apparently the Red Cross is supervising them and that's superior to what the ukrainians doing uh, which is uh seems to me torturing and killing uh the russians that they capture or putting them on trial there was a show trial just recently apparently a 21 year old kid was put on on trial in the ukraine and that got a lot of news that's right
0: uh, well, the Russians are going to have trials of suspected war criminals as well. And we'll see how it all plays out. But yeah, I agree. So far, it does look to me like the Russians are doing things uh, more straightforwardly. And honestly, overall, and this propaganda war, which the Saker is complaining about and Andrei Martyanov is complaining about, may not be working so well. Uh, globally, it's not at all clear that the real international community actually sides with Ukraine at all. And even in a NATO country, Turkey, the polls show that uh, more than or half of the Turkish people blame the U.S. for this war, while only 33 percent blame Russia. So that's a landslide for uh, blaming the U.S., not Russia. And uh, they blame this in this article. This is a, a U.S. think tank article. They blame it on Erdogan's West bashing and conspiracy theories. Uh, well, that means that Erdogan, for all of his many faults, sometimes tells the truth about what's really going on in the world. Eighty uh, percent of the Turkish population wants to remain neutral. And uh, even the author of this Western think tank article admits that public distrust of the West in Turkey should not be simply dismissed as conspiratorial nonsense. They have real misgivings about U.S. and NATO policies over the past century. I wonder why that could be. The U.S. and NATO have overthrown a long list of uh, Turkish leaders and installed the most brutal hunters that tortured and murdered their opposition over and over and over until finally the Turkish people put an end to that more or less uh, uh, 20 years ago. But then they try, the CIA once again tried to overthrow Erdogan a few years ago and barely failed. Why would the Turkish people not trust the U.S. and NATO? I can't imagine.
1: Yeah, and on you add to that, there was, there is uh, an ancestral antipathy toward uh, Russia uh, in Turkey that goes back at least to World War I. Uh, and the people when, when Russia tried to invade, uh, Turkey, uh, and that led to the Armenian genocide, uh. Uh, because there were basically uh, Armenians who had been trained in Russia to become revolutionaries. They, they joined Nata Naivolia, the same organization that uh, Lenin's older brother joined, to assassinate the Tsar. So you've got this uh, traditional antipathy toward the Russians. And if they feel it, that it, it if, when they're saying the exact opposite in the polls, it's probably because they have reason to, to feel that way, because they're rational creatures and can see the situation clearly. Now, whether Erdogan, uh, maybe, maybe he just wants more money. He has a way of blackmailing people, yeah, blackmailing the West, right. uh, like with, uh, a, a going to Germany and say, "Up, oh, we got all these Syrians there. I need about six billion dollars or else they're all going to come across the Aegean and, and they'll end up in Berlin. So that may be part of the situation, but you're right. He has, he, he was uh, the subject of a coup and certainly doesn't have any good feelings toward, uh, uh, the United States, the CIA. Uh, and, and so why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he act this way?
0: Indeed. So it isn't just the Turks who aren't being fooled by this propaganda tidal wave washing over the entire planet, thanks to the ownership of the mainstream media by the usual suspects. Uh, it's also Americans. Yes, that's right. The Express a UK paper took a poll and discovered that Americans are okay with Ukraine losing. And they were shocked to find that, given what the mainstream media keeps telling us. 43% were, were okay with Ukraine losing. Only 41% were not okay or have no, what, uh, 16% have no opinion. And uh, this story is, is, of course, the, the, journalist pretends to be outraged over this. And the poll was apparently done by the Democracy Institute, which said the reason for this total lack of support for Ukraine and among the American people who've been brainwashed uh, with the most intense propaganda that we've seen in this country probably since World War I, that the reason is cynicism about government policy created by the fact that, quote, at least half of Americans thought they were hoodwinked over COVID lockdowns. Uh, and 53% of Americans say that the Russia sanctions are hurting us more than Russia. That is, we have a sane majority here in America. And for the second month in a row, more Americans believe it would be better for Biden to leave office than Putin by 53 to 44%. Uh, so uh, this poll really kind of uh, reaffirms, or <laughs> I shouldn't say reaffirms, maybe restores a little bit of my faith in the Uh, lack of complete idiocy among the American people, that Americans are maybe not as stupid as our propaganda masters think we are.
1: It's also uh, an indication that the mass media are failing. uh, Absolutely a terrible failure among the mass media who have gone full propaganda mode. uh, uh, The the most propaganda I have ever experienced in my lifetime, the most blatant. It's backfiring. backfiring. That's right. And that's the problem with propaganda. Propaganda. You can bring about the exact opposite effect. that then at that point, the cunning of reason kicks in, uh, which is what Hegel talked about, God's way of uh, correcting human history. Uh, and maybe that's what's happening right now. I mean, there are other signs ac- uh, across the country the uh, DeSantis taking on Disney, uh, the uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned, the bill in Oklahoma. There's all sorts of signs that the American people are not doing what the mass media tell them to do.
0: And uh, the mass media, of course, is represents certain kinds of interests, uh, and we're going to get into the really controversial content of that with a couple of really interesting in-depth stories that were published on the UNS Review this week. Uh The Jewish hand in World War Three is one of them, and the Jewish Hasbro in all its glory is the other. So both of these headlines are talking about Jews, which is, of course, totally taboo, um, and uh, they're both, I thought, really worth reading. And the first one here is on, uh, well, it's it's by Thomas Dalton, who's the author of the book Debating the Holocaust, A New Look at Both Sides, which is actually a pretty good resource on what are the basic arguments between the Holocaust revisionists and the Holocaust uh, Orthodox scholars. Well, here's Dalton uh, going over the dominance of, of uh, a certain wealthy, powerful Jewish elite in Ukraine, where less than 1%, perhaps even less than 0.1% of the population is Jewish in Ukraine, but of the five richest Ukrainian billionaires, four are Jews, Kolomoisky, who who owns uh, the president, uh, Viktor Pinchuk, Rinat Akhmatov, and Gennady uh, Bogolyubov, or however you pronounce it in Ukrainian, and, uh, then right behind them in the multimillionaire class are a long list of more Jews who I won't even try to name because I can't pronounce their names. Uh, and uh, this author, Dalton, says, why is Zelensky's corruption never challenged? Zelensky's not supposed to, he's supposed to be a, you know, a piano playing comedian who somehow amassed, uh, nearly a billion dollars in wealth. Uh, why is this corruption never challenged? Why is it hard to find facts about it? Because he's a Jew, and Jews are never questioned and never challenged. Uh, that's right. So that's—I thought you would agree with that, Mike.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's got Jewish privilege, and and I'm I'm saying that one of the uh, un, from their point of view unfortunate aspects or blowback from this over propagandizing is that now people are starting to talk about Jews. Which no one would ever do. Do you remember when we were in Mashhad and I said, we have to break the Jew taboo? I mean, that, that was kind of controversial at that point. Yeah.
0: But he, been, even at our conferences in Iran, it's controversial. Right, I mean, they, even, he, even with me, I, I argue with you about this stuff sometimes. Yeah.
1: I mean, even like the Iranians, you think, well, they're, they're up now. They, they were always timid about saying the word Jew. Well, I had a book. It was translated to Farsi. The title of the book was Jews and Moral Subversion. I don't read Farsi, but someone told me the title in Farsi is Israelis well, so and is Moral it, yes, Subversion. And that's because in,
0: in Iran, they're trying to get along with the Jewish community there. They kind of have a deal with the Jewish community, which is if you guys uh, are loyal to the current government and don't cause trouble and go about your business, uh, we have no problem with you. And so we're not going to say that Jews are a problem. Uh, Right. And then you,
1: and then you, and then you get involved in a category mistake, and then you can't identify the enemy. And then you end up like the, the white boys, uh, who are saying, no, it's racial. It's, well, no, it's not racial. You know, this is we have to deal with this issue. You saw the the uh, uh, book there uh, mentioned Henry Ford. There was a time in American history during the 1930s when we had a, a grassroots political movement known as America First, uh, where these people were addressing Jewish influence on our culture. And it was killed by the entry into the war. And now it's coming back. It's coming back because it's a legitimate movement. And we have this legitimate concern in America about the American empire. Fighting wars that don't benefit us. Did we better? Did did the American people benefit from the war in Iraq? No, that was fought for Israel and nobody would willing to say it. And now we have to say it because now we're dragged into another war, uh, uh, with the same, uh, group of people. Mm -hmm. This is the, there's, there's another, another instance where this is happening. Uh, it's the abortion question. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but there are Jews and rabbis now who are saying that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. The ADL said this.
0: So they say that their religious freedom is being violated. That's right. That's exactly
1: what they're saying. And I said, for once, I agree with the ADL. You're absolutely right. And so they're saying if you prohibit abortion, you're preventing Jews from practicing their religion. Well, this is perfect, because what you're really saying is, with Roe versus Wade, the Jews imposed their religion on the entire country.
0: And now the Catholic majority of the Supreme Court may be reversing
1: that. That's right. And so what you're saying is the across-the-board erosion of Jewish privilege. I mean, if there were ever Jewish privilege, it was the Roe versus Wade opinion, which gave basically imposed this Jewish, uh, Jewish sacrament on the entire country. That is unraveling now, and now one of the features, one of the blow issues, a blowback, is that people are now openly talking about Jewish influence in our society.
0: Okay, well, uh, people who are interested in these kinds of taboo topics really should read these two very long, in-depth articles uh, published at UnS this week. Uh, so Dalton, is here is the first, and uh, the second is by Larry Romanoff. Uh, yeah, there's there's Larry Romanoff. And he has, of course, the picture of the Henry Ford uh, International Jew book. And uh, this is a very long article, but it's a pretty good compendium of uh, critiques of uh, Hasbro, which can be defined as Jewish or Israeli propaganda. Uh, it overstates the case here and there i think for instance quote just as gypsies seem to exist primarily to beg and steal there is another ethnic group that sometimes seems to exist primarily to lie well i guess the sometimes kind of saves that sentence uh but as john uh, and here i am a muslim quoting uh scripture uh, the bible scripture uh, john says in 844 you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so I think this is actually a spiritual thing. And just because people are born Jewish, uh, they don't necessarily uh, become uh, followers of the fa- father of lies. However, uh, the tribe that rejected universal monotheism, rejected Jesus, rejected Muhammad, uh, and I, th- I see those as both problems, <laughs> uh, that tribe may be extra vulnerable to following the father of lies and the elite of that tribe in particular. And that might explain a fair bit of what's going on in the world.
1: We yeah, have don't underestimate uh, the uh, effects of deicide, uh, which is what they engaged in when they uh, called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what you had here was a split in the Jewish population at that time and some of those people followed Logos, the Logos incarnate Jesus Christ, and some of them followed the rejection uh, of that. And they they had a, a long history of that that went back to the constant defection of the Israelis, uh, Israelites, to w- the worship of Moloch. It was a constant temptation. They fell into it repeatedly, and that involved the sacrifice of children. So, is it surprising then that that segment would then? Come and be the uh, most avid supporters of abortion, another form of child sacrifice. No, I think th- I think that this is consistent. And if you don't have this view of history, you're not going to understand what's wait, wait, going on. Wait, wait,
0: wait a minute, Mike. Is, isn't the the uh, the stayed hand of Abraham? Uh, isn't that God ordering the end of child sacrifice? And doesn't that apply to Jews as well as to Christians and Muslims?
1: Abraham is our father in faith, and that includes you and me and the Jews, okay? Okay, uh, and what and we're talking about...
0: No more child sacrifice. After that event, that that at that time, child sacrifice was widely practiced throughout the whole Mediterranean area, uh, and that ended it, or that's the, the message there is to end it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, uh, that's the the message is to end it, but they constantly fell into that practice repeatedly, and they were punished uh, again and again and again. It was a constant temptation during this time, uh, in 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 uh, at that period of time in that place, and they caught, they succumbed to it repeatedly. So you've got this te- the situation. Yes, of course, that's the word of God. Yes, that is. Yes, fa- Abraham is our father in faith, but this group of people defected from it. And it, the, the the gospel, the passage in John's gospel that you mentioned, if you read further, uh, the Jews are claiming we are the children of Moses. And Jesus Christ said, no, you're not. No, you're not. And then they said, no, we have sacred DNA. We are the seed of Abraham. And they said, he says, no, you're not. That doesn't matter what your DNA is. It matters how you act. And then he starts talking about if you were children of Moses, you would accept me. This is the fundamental pivot turning point in human history. And it's still effective today. It's still active as a way of explicating what's going on today.
0: Mm -hmm. And I not only agree with most of those views, but I also would say you have the right to hold them, even if I don't agree with them. Uh, Professing uh, a religious interpretation of the world is supposed to be protected by the First Amendment. And so everything we just said in this discussion obviously is going to get us totally deplatformed if we try to take it to any of the major platforms. Hopefully Rumble can handle it. Uh, and I think it's completely outrageous that our right to express our religious interpretation of social reality is has come under fire the way it has recently. And yes, it's disproportionately coming under fire from that particular group. Uh, and speaking of that group, how about the Zionist entity news uh, this week? Nakba Day uh, had its 74th anniversary. This is the commemoration of the Palestinian Holocaust. Thousands of pro-Palestinian demonstrators rallied in U.S. cities and, and all over the world. New York, Boston, Washington, Montreal, Dearborn, Michigan, and on and on and on. Uh, so somehow this resistance to the hegemonic Zionist narrative is still simmering all over the place.
1: Yeah, the only, I mean, it's just it's so touching and, and painful that every year we have to come to say something about Nakba Day, and yet, uh, it's still continuing. Uh, but, you know, the fact that it's still continuing is a sign of hope that these people haven't been extinguished, that their hope hasn't been extinguished, that there are still people who are talking this way, in spite of the fact that the Israelis, uh, c- continue to flout all forms of civilized behavior, including, uh, shooting journalists who are clearly marked as journalists, which is what happened just recently.
0: Yeah, yeah, we just we covered that on the show last week. And they also continue to try to drag the U.S. into wars that only benefit themselves and that damage the U.S. as well as the targets of the wars. Uh, So this week, uh, we had a U.S. participation in the Israeli drill simulating a large scale attack on Iran. The U.S. Air Force joined Israeli jets as they simulated entering Iranian territory and carrying out repeated airstrikes. Uh, So, you know, maybe uh, this war mobilization thing that I wrote about is happening on many levels, and China and Iran could also be in the crosshairs.
1: Yeah, there's also apparently the fact that uh, the uh, Russian SS, whatever it is, S-300 missile locked onto an Israeli plane, this was reported, and this is the first time this has happened, and I'm sure the Isra- Israelis are concerned about that because, uh, again, I think the Russians have mu- missile superiority, which they simply haven't exercised in Syria yet, yet. And if if, if the Israelis continue to escalate, then that may happen.
0: Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't blame Russia if they did. Uh, so uh, moving I mean, on Putin to— that,
1: I, it, I think Putin has real concern for all of the Russians living in, in Israel. Uh, but if the Israelis overplay their hand and they abuse that concern and continue to send people into Mariupol or something like that, uh, they're going to pay a price for it.
0: OK, well, moving from occupied Palestine to Buffalo, New York, we had a shooting this week. Uh, a uh, The story is a white supremacist lunatic, a uh, young 18 year old guy. Uh, Peyton Gendron, uh, shot, uh, 13 people, uh, in, in a supermarket or something. And so this then, uh, of course, led to massive mainstream, uh, despair about the, uh, her, uh, histrionics about that the white nationalists are coming, uh, the Trump supporters are to typically going to do this sort of thing. And then we had pushback from people like Wendy Rogers, a state senator from Flagstaff, Arizona, who's been recommended to the ethics committee for tweeting, quote, Fed Boy Summer has started in Buffalo, saying basically hinting it was a false flag. In the next story, we see that Nick Fuentes also joined her in uh, tweeting that it was a false flag. And uh, one of the ironies of this event, the sad ironies, is as we see in the next story, or the next slide, that the uh, Buffalo murder used the, s- the same Nazi symbols as Ukraine's Azov battalion does, those Jewish heroes. So uh, what do you make of this shooting and the false flag allegations, Mike?
1: I mean, as Cho and Lai said about the French Revolution, it's too soon to tell. Uh, and and are we going to get the information? One of the things that occurred to me uh, in the aftermath was this manifesto. Is this really his manifesto? So that uh, was
0: cut and pasted from the uh, New Zealand uh, mosque shooters manifesto, apparently. So even
1: even if even if the FBI wasn't involved in this whole thing. Uh it would be easy to insinuate a document like this after the fact to implicate the people that you want to demonize. And it seems to me that would be easy to do with this type of uh, manifesto.
0: Well, all kinds of political points are being scored uh, on this, this demonization of white nationalism uh, and especially going after the so-called replacement theory. And here's an article from Tom Hartman who quotes the ADL of 443 people killed in the hands of extremists over the last 10 year period, 333 or 75% were killed by right-wing extremists. And that this ideology of and mythos of white victimhood is, uh, is leading these uh, terrorists uh, to commit these massacres. And then Tucker Carlson is getting blasted as we see in the next slide. Uh, he's supposedly touting quote-unquote replacement theory, which is uh, unhappiness with open immigration policy at a time when America's majority ethnic group is becoming a minority ethnic group extremely rapidly. And then Glenn Greenwald pushed back against this selective demonization of people like Tucker Carlson and the Republicans by pointing out that there are left wing terrorists and Democrat terrorists, too, like the guy who shot the Republicans at the softball field in 2017, James Hodgkinson. So of all of this stuff, I actually found Greenwald's uh, the most thoughtful. What do you think? Mike?
1: Yeah, I think the fundamental legacy of Roe versus Wade is that you now have two categories of people. You have one group which has privilege and you have another group, the fetus, which has no rights whatsoever. And we all fit into either of those two categories. So you can have Jewish privilege uh, if you're black, if you go along with that party line. And so your black lives matter. okay? and so you can burn down the entire city and they will say it's a peaceful demonstration. That's the type of that's the type of demonization that's going on uh, regularly here. And again, but, but
0: wait, but wait, what about the Hartman's point that if you do statistical analysis, he claims that you end up with two thirds of the terrorists uh, being uh, so-called uh, right wing extremists and like a tiny fraction being these other things like Muslims or this or that?
1: Well, it depends on who does the counting, does not it? Isn't that the way elections so, yeah. are? I mean, if the ADL does the counting, well, sure, it's going to come out this way. That 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 That's the whole problem here. So, the question is uh what does it mean to be white in this in this situation well they 're the group that the the a d l has decided to demonize, and so in a sense they're uh, this is uh they 're both the uh the, uh their arsonists and the fire department at the same time. They're spreading this idea of demonization. It was a Jewish idea to begin with, to come up with this idea. Noel Ignatieff, uh, the Jewish professor at Harvard, created critical race theory. Now they are trying to, t- the ADL is trying to take over law enforcement by basically putting their thumb on the scale when it comes to counting the statistics. So, again... You either you have privilege, in which case you can act with impunity. And I'm saying Black Lives Matter has Jewish privilege uh, or Antifa certainly has Jewish privilege and they can do whatever they engage in mayhem. But if you're on the other side of the spectrum, you're the fetus side, then you're like the people that showed up at January 6th uh, who thought they had the right to uh protest and the right of free speech. And they don't have any rights at all because they're bad people, because they're fetuses.
0: Well, at least we know that so-called Jewish privilege doesn't necessarily always last forever for everybody, uh, and one of the people that it, it may have worn off for, to a certain extent at least, was Jeffrey Epstein, and we remember Epstein this week because Mark Middleton, the guy who introduced Bill Clinton to Jeffrey Epstein and cemented their relationship, quote-unquote, uh, died. And so apparently uh, Jeffrey Epstein's Jewish privilege protected him for for decades, as he, he worked for the Israeli intelligence services, compromising powerful Americans by feeding them underage girls. And uh, I guess Clinton's privilege is still working, even though Clinton isn't Jewish. So uh, I think there's a privilege here that that spreads beyond pure ethnicity. And uh, Clinton's still walking around free, even though he's obviously a minor attracted person uh, who flew uh, countless times on Epstein's jet and visited Epstein's sex slave island. Uh, many times as well. Uh, but the minor attracted persons like Bill Clinton are now apparently being cast as victims, as we see in the next slide. Uh, in fact, this expert on minor attracted persons who's trying to basically make pedophiles out to be the next uh, category of victims that you can't say anything bad about has, uh, just been, uh, uh hired by the Johns Hopkins Center against child abuse. So I don't know. We're living in a very uh, perverse uh, society, aren't we, Mike?
1: Yes. And Jewish privilege can't be delegated. That's one of the fundamental facts.
0: Clinton got some sort of, what do they have to do, like circumcise him? uh, No, I mean,
1: the civil rights movement was the delegation of Jewish privilege to black people. That's what it was. Okay, but to get back to Jeffrey Epstein, he did have Jewish privilege because the first time he was arrested for trafficking, he got uh, a a sweetheart deal from a prosecutor by the name of Krishner, who was of that persuasion, which is bad enough. But then the ADL enters and gives that man an award for giving a slap on the wrist to Jeffrey Epstein. So it's it's alive and well. No, I'm not. This is this, you can't make this stuff up. So it's not going to be maybe ultimately uh, your Jewish privilege wears out when you're arrested and suddenly you're going to testify. Well, at that point, no. Other uh, uh, other privileges come in. Other people with other privileges come in and suddenly you're dead. Although I know you think he committed suicide.
0: No, I wouldn't be surprised if he was spirited out and uh, taken to uh, witness protection in Tel Aviv. But, uh, yeah, actually, no, I'm, I'm the only person on Earth who thinks he really committed suicide, right? That's why I do this show. So, okay, moving on to get, let's go past the minor attracted persons thing uh, to Barbara Hubbard, right? She's part of the transhumanism synthetic spirituality movement that's pushing the Great Reset. And uh, we're going to all be happy because we will own nothing. And we'll have no money, we'll be unable to buy food, but we'll be happy because our neurofeedback wearable will be wanking the pleasure center of our brains until we finally keel over and die in a spasm of sheer technocratic ecstasy. That sounds like quite the uh vision of transcendence, doesn't it?
1: Yes, yes. Noel Harari uh, Jew, uh, is uh, promoting this transhumanism type of stuff, too. It goes back to the uh, Genesis where uh, the devil said to, the serpent said to Eve, you, you will be like gods. And, and that's the delusion that these people are, are operating under. Uh, more recently, you had someone like, uh, Aldous Huxley in, uh, Brave New World, a very prophetic book, uh, basically explaining how this could be brought about. Uh, and, uh, the, the government, uh, the oligarchs have been operating on it. Ever since he was concerned about overpopulation, and he's one of the few people who were prescient enough to say, "See that sex, drugs, and rock and roll are a very effective form of control because it always seems like liberty to the uninitiated."
0: Sure worked well on the teenagers back in the '60s, didn't it?
1: Yes, it sure did.
0: Okay. Well, you know, one way to merge with technology and experience that kind of artificial ecstasy is to eat the ultra-fabricated plastic food at McDonald's. It looks like the Russians have decided to demerge. They're not only leaving the WHO and the WTO, they're leaving Ronald McDonald's Happy Burger Empire. Actually, he's leaving them. And, uh, and the Russians are crying no tears because as we see in the next slide, they gained four years of life expectancy. Well, that was actually my estimate to use in the headline of my satirical article, it claims that the Russian Air Force has begun dropping Big Macs with fries and soda on decision-making centers in mm-hmm. Kiev, but that hasn't yet been confirmed by official sources. So, yeah, you know, it's hard to write satire about this stuff, but, you know, somebody's got to do it.
1: Yeah. How are they, how is Russia going to survive without McDonald's?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll survive a lot longer. Uh, and, and for the details, read the article. And speaking of uh, attempts, uh, quixotic attempts to out satirize the insanity of reality, how about the monkeypox? We saved the craziest story of the week for last. The monkeypox has escaped. And so I just imagined the monkeypox, uh, being uh, a, a disease that turns you into monkeys and that Fauci and his friends are making monkeys of all of us, which I think they are.
1: Yes, I agree. I agree. It's okay. uh, uh, There's a scenario, by the way, talking about this. Uh, apparently, someone uh, had a game where they're talking about the release of monkeypox in the same way that Harvard talked about the release of COVID. But oh, uh, boy. we'll find okay. out. Well,
0: uh, to preserve our platform here and, and not get erased, uh, we're going to have to urge all of you to make sure that you wear a monkey mask and stay at least six banana lengths from other people <laughs> at all times. And that way the virus won't spread and we'll live happily ever after, at least until next week when we can try to catch another episode, God willing, of False Flag Weekly News. Assuming that our fundraisers get back on track, you can, of course, uh, look down to the show description and uh, click on our fundraiser. And even tiny donations are appreciated. Well, thank you so much, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Wonderful catching up with you here. Keep up the great work. God bless.
1: Thank you, Kevin.
0: Bye-bye.